Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars pertaining to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2019. Episode 248, Countdowns and Clocks in Games. Presented by Darren Watts, Stephen Dewey, and Paul Stefko. Hi everyone, welcome to Countdowns and Clocks. We're going to talk about clocks, time, urgency, how to build it, game systems, mechanics, um, how to manipulate things like stress and time around people. Why not? Well, I mean, we'll put it up to the crowd, too, Perfect. whatever they want to hear about. We should introduce ourselves, though. Yes, so uh, my name is Stephen Dewey. Uh, I wrote uh, Ten Candles, which is probably mostly what I'm going to talk about, uh, which is a game that uses candles as a countdown timer. My name is uh, Darren Watts. I am uh, formerly the owner of uh, Hero Games and Indie Press Revolution. I got out of that business, uh, I got out of the owning things business a little while ago, and now freelance pretty much full-time. One of the gigs I am working for currently is the Sentinel Comics RPG, which has a very kind of like significant timing mechanism in it, and I think we'll talk about that one too. Uh, and uh, I am Paul Stefko, I'm a freelance uh, game designer and writer, and I am somewhat of a uh, jack-of-all-trades system-wise, but a lot of stuff I do does touch on managing time, tension, pacing, and those sorts of things. Sure. So that we don't wind up wasting a lot of time on stuff that the audience does not want to hear about for this, um, are you guys here uh, from like a design perspective? Do you want to talk about like uh, building rules and that sort of thing for this in games that you are doing? Because that would be the that's our default of what we're going to talk about up here. So if that sounds like if you came for something else, if you have like a you know question or you know somehow only you know closely related to that, then you know we'll try to leave some time at the end to. Uh, catch up with everything else. But if you want to, you know, pick up with the choices that you made with Ten Candles and other games sure. like that of why it, why it does the things that it does. And yeah, so uh, is anyone, uh, show of hands, familiarity with Ten Candles? Anyone here? So not many, not all of you, but a couple of you. Uh, so Ten Candles is a tragic horror role-playing game. Um, and the and one of the large pieces of the game's premise is that you play the game by the light of 10 tea light candles that you light uh, over the course of the character creation component at the front. Uh, it's a one-shot game, and at the very end of the game, at the end of the two to four hours that you're playing it, all of the characters will die in the final scene, hence a tragic horror as opposed to a survival horror game. Um, so 10 Candles leans heavily into uh, building things like anxiety and stress and tension amongst the players. But because you already know how the game is going to end, you know it's going to end with this finality of uh, the characters dying, uh, a lot of the design that went into the game went into how to build those mechanics to foster those feelings of stress and urgency and the feeling of a clock running out. Um, so Ten Candles literally uses candles to achieve that goal. Um, it has this independent force separate from the game that of course is adding a lot of ambiance but is also a very physical timer that is counting down as you play through the game. Uh, when, the can when the last candle goes out, the game will end. 
so players, as you navigate through the story, will have opportunities or situations in which they have to darken the candle. Um, there is also the possibility that candles may go out on their own, either after a set amount of time or just completely accidentally if someone has an errant sneeze or uh, has left a window open. And all of those darkenings are final. Uh, they cannot be reversed, even if completely accidental. And the idea of this, the idea of this very fragile um, timer that the game is holding onto, uh, allows the players to very much see and feel the clock ticking away as the session goes on. Uh, it gives the session a nice time limit. Uh, it allows for the play to not hang on too long and for players to stay very immersed and engaged around the table. There's not, yes. It's not really a game you take breaks from uh, because you are locked into it from start to finish because at any moment those candles could go out and that's the end of the game. It's one of those kind of like perfect, uh, you know, physical metaphors, you know, sitting there on your table to yeah. kind of like focus your attention. It's, in that way, it's very much like Dread, yeah. right? In that there is a physical object on your table that represents something that you can never kind of like get away from, yeah. right? Now with Dread, obviously like the, you know, the mechanic is that the, the, the thing itself becomes less stable with each pull that you need to make, whereas in Ten Candles, what makes Ten Candles interesting to me particularly for it, is that you literally have no control over what might happen here for, right? It's, it's, it's like plain dread if there was a mechanic for accidentally bumping the table, right? Kind of thing for this, and I think that part makes it fabulous and absolutely underscores the idea of it being a tragedy and being more, right, on a, on a very remarkable level. And yeah. I think, oh, sorry, oh, and I, I think um, having those the the, the uncertainty in, uh, of that your candles mechanic separates it from just having, for example, a board game with a simple egg timer or or right. egg yeah. timer, where you know exactly how long it's going to take within certain you know right one percent variation or whatever, um, because. That it's just you know you could just set a timer on your phone for the exact exactly time. right. But with and, and with this because it is so much the, the candles are so much a part of the play space right. As the lights are going down, it's getting harder to read your stuff yes. right at the table and and it should be right. That feels good. You know it feels right and and uh, you know genre enforcing that like we're all trying to like you know to look at the rule book or whatever and like figure out what we're doing by this one tiny light because it's the last one that we have here for this. Um, is a very strong kind of, like I said, it's a reinforcement of genre that is that, that works very powerfully. One of the things that I always sort of say in response to this, and it, it really applies to the idea of creating stress and countdowns in games, is I think there a lot of the time there is, um, as, as someone who has built, I guess, his career in game design off of being super gimmicky, there is a <laughs> lot of the time uh, there is a really sort of negative connotation to that word gimmick. Um, but I think that if a gimmick really uh, does two things, if it reflects the setting and the, uh, the story that you're trying to tell in the game, and if the gimmick is, even if it has no mechanical benefit for being there, uh, if it has an emotional benefit for being there, I think it can be really valuable. So with 10 candles, I could simply have a 10 coins and flip it either to heads or tails, depending on if it's 
active or inactive, but there is an emotional, there's a lot that you get out of the game emotionally from having that gimmick there, uh, and there's a lot that you get out of it, and it sort of mirrors and reflects the sort of story that you're trying to tell of people dying in the dark, you know, so as long as those two things are there, if it supports the sort of story that you're trying to make, and it serves, even if not a mechanical purpose, an emotional purpose around the table, I think you can get away with gimmicks way more than people give them credit for. Yes. And that can really help build that sort of tension or stress around the table. It doesn't need to be, and the next one I'm going to talk about for this uses that same idea for it for a slightly different purpose, which is that it doesn't need to be a horrific game, right? Correct. So much as it needs Absolutely. to be a, 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 like a, a reinforcement of genre. Uh, the Sentinel Comics role-playing game for this has a track. Uh, the the it's a, it's a game in which you are building dice pools out of your superpowers and your abilities and that sort of thing. Part of that dice pool is always a reflection of what's going on in the universe, right? Of like what the situation actually is, how dangerous it is, how close we are to some sort of like dramatic, superheroic conclusion or climax or you know like event, right? For that and. So there is a uh, color-coded track, what they call the hero track for this, which is green, yellow, red, out, right, of, uh, of what, uh, what, the, what the status of the world or the status of your individual character is. And in the game, you have access to different abilities, different powers, different uh, uh, things that you can do, depending on what level of stress that you're under, yeah. right? And also, the die size might change, either up or down, based on a character-building decision that you made at the beginning of how well your character operates under stress, right? Like, if you are the sort of character uh, who, you know, is not that powerful at the beginning of the game, but when the chips are down, they're really, like, there for it, then you would build kind of, like, your stack of dice more powerfully towards the end. Or you could play a character who is fine and really powerful and useful as long as they're not stressed out, and have them buckle, degrade, buckle. they buckle over the course of the story, you know, like when things get worse, right? And uh, that mechanic, like I said, it gives, it gives you, like, access, but it, it tells you, you know, serves the storytelling purpose of, like, where are we in the world, right? Like, so the, the, the GM sets, uh, you know, like, where that setting goes and how long each color stage is going to last. Now, because this is a superhero story and not a horror story, when you reach the end of that track, all that means is the situation changes, right? If you have not captured the bad guy by the time you get to the end of the track, well, then he gets away, right? And now you've got to deal with some other situation. It does not necessarily need to lead to a tragedy. What it leads to is a change in the state of the game, right? Like something has happened, but when we reach the end of that track, if you haven't solved the problem, the problem gets worse or the problem changes state in some way, right? Um, and that is, you know, once again, it's an intentional design piece of using that same kind of, we're building towards a climactic event because superhero stories are about nothing but a series of climactic events that right. like, get built to over and over again, right? I, I think that mechanic points to something that's important about clock mechanics and, and timers as a whole in that um, there are different effects at different points along the progression. Right. Yeah. Um, the clock is divided into pieces, and each of those pieces means something different. Right. Um, because you get you know you get other kinds of pacing mechanics, even as far back as the classic Dungeons and Dragons hit points right. are a pacing mechanic, but they mean nothing until they're completely gone. It's binary. You either have 
any of them or you have none. You are right, yeah. But with that mechanic and with, with other things, uh, um, other kinds of clock mechanics like that, at each point, at each tick along, something else happens. Right. I think that's a very important And, and like I said, many characters have, like their most powerful abilities are in that red state, right? So there is an encouragement from a storytelling point of view for the players, even if like the heroes and the characters within the story really hope things don't get worse, the player kind of does, right? Because the player is is rewarded uh, for you know like bringing the story to that kind of like dramatic point by getting cooler things to do when they're under stress, right? So you know you're always kind of like looking forward to, is, geez, I just hope you know like another couple of villains show up so that I can use my cool power, you know, that I like really want to bust out for this, right? Like there's a it, it encourages a style of play that the game wanted all along, right? So. I really need to get beat up so that I can unlock, unlock my So I can unlock my power, right, exactly, yeah. So. Well, t talking about stress tracks and things like that, I think one thing that's important to think of when you are doing these designs is, uh, you know, it, it's, be wary sometimes of, uh, sometimes people will create really stressful mechanics, even though they may not uh, correlate to stressful moments in game necessarily. So uh, it, it's something to be conscious of. So Emily Kerbos coined the term bleed, right? Where if the player is feeling something, then the character will kind of feel it. And if the character is feeling something, it may cause the player to feel it. Uh, I think that it's really good when you're building these clocks and these countdown sort of mechanics that they tie into the game in some way. So if the characters are building uh, on a stress track that's okay to make really stressful for the characters, but if I'm just like going to market and I'm just trying to do shopping, there shouldn't be a really necessarily a super stressful mechanic around shopping, uh, shopping that's going to stress your players out, uh, even though for unless the that's what the game's about. Unless that's what the game's unless about. It's, right. Unless it's uh, supermarket dash right. RPG. Right. Right. Yeah. You you know can look at your system, see like where where are the characters under stress. And how can I reflect that in the rules system by creating some of these points or a clock or something like that to really reflect that? Because if I can get the, character, the players worked up, they're going to feel really amped up about this situation. And you can use it as a tool to really make those moments pop for your players because they're going to get worked up as action is culminating in the game. Right. Uh, but, you know, you don't, you know be, be aware of when you're using it and what outcome that will have on the players. Right. Um. And I think I think we, we can also look at the sort of psychological differences <coughs> between a clock that counts down to something and a clock that counts up to something. Yes, sure. Um, if you're if you're trying to present the feeling of uh, uh, an inevitable uh, end state, right. counting down to something, I think does that more. Counting up to something is more of a feeling of progression towards something. You're actively filling a meter, right. as opposed to it's just draining, and when it, you're hoping to get your goal before it hits empty. Exactly. Um, well, when you're a gamer, everything is points, yeah. right? Like, if I'm losing points, then I'm losing the game, exactly. or I'm running out of something for it, and, uh, you know... Whereas if I'm collecting something, well, I must be doing well. Look at all the points that I've got. Right? Yeah. So it's, that's an amazing point because when you are when you're filling up a meter, it is really exciting for you as a player. The closer you get to it being full, but when that same meter is draining out, the more stressful it kind of gets to try to do whatever you're doing before it runs out. Um, right. Use 
use them appropriately, right? Exactly. When, when yeah. You want both excitement both, and when both you want work stress. and both lead to you know like a, a sense of that kind of like revelatory anticipation right. for it. But your emotional state when you get to the end is going to be quite different between them. Of like, hooray, I made it to the end, or oh no, I've made it to the end. You know, kind of thing. So. Um, one of the things that just I like to mention also in terms of clocks and countdowns in terms of your system is uh, it, uh, make sure that to make the consequences matter. Like if you want players to care about the clocks and the countdowns that you're putting into the system, make those consequences significant. Um, so as an example, uh, talking about a game where you are trying to capture a bad guy, right? Uh, one of the games that I also have written is To Surf for Witch of Hunger, where you are playing a group of spirits that are hunting down a human, and that game ends in one of two ways. Either you capture the human or the human escapes, and you don't get to have dinner that night, basically. Um, and you, uh, so one of the mechanics that is in, exists in that game is that you are cutting out snowflakes as you play the game. And if you capture the human successfully, you get to unfurl your snowflake and look at it and show it off and be really proud. But if the human escapes after all of this hard work and you fail, uh, you have to tear up the snowflake and you never get to open it up. Oh no! And it's horrible I've and never heart heard of this game. This is awful. Oh, it's oh, a lot wow, of fun. That's fabulous. Okay. Um, so it's it's all about you know be mindful of what you know based on. The, the, if, if you have a, so that is a game where the clock is the game, right? The entire game is this chase, start to finish. So I had to bring the consequences to match that level of, uh, of a clock so that the players would feel you know, satisfied either way with you know, investing the, uh, the emotional energy into caring about a stressful clock for two hours while they play this game. Um, so that's all, you know, be mindful of consequences and rewards and make sure that they're equally, they're doled out as they should be. Very cool. And I, I, think, I think along with that idea is um, fitting the size of your clock to the intensity of the payoff at the end of it. Yes. Um, you don't want to have a, this massive, long, mechanical process of uh, you know, iteration and repetition of, of the, the game state to end with, oh, you've got a victory point. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, right. you don't want to have them do the same thing six, eight, ten times and then just give them a tiny incremental advancement. If you want them to have something <clears throat> tiny, you have them do it three or four times maybe but in steps that can be taken and then do that over and over again. Um, whereas if you have a very long clock, it needs to match the, that expectation. Right, and is it one that resets? Yeah. Is it one that is resettable yeah. uh, you know, in process, right? And like recognize which parts of your game are clocks, right? Which, as, as you said, it's a, it's a key point that I don't think everybody kind of like gets in design is that hit points are a timing mechanism yes. that they're they, they you know like tell you when like an event happens um, and that they you know kind of like mark out how long a certain thing is expected to last you know from like a story point of view yeah. right for this or the same way that you know a game that has that does its combat in turns or something like that if it's got a mechanic for that for the for all intents and purposes to your players that is a clock Right, because there is at some point a turn comes to an end, an event happens, some sort of state change happens, and then it starts again, right? And it may be in a different order this time because randomness or because you're using Balsera initiative or whatever kind of thing, right? Like that, you know, things go in different orders. But the beginning and end of a turn, 
are effectively clock mechanics, you know, in a, a trad RPG, you know, where this is, is like that's where the and, and your players will respond to that. They will get used to the rhythm of how a game is supposed to go, and they'll know, you know, like when a clock has ticked down. It's like, oh, this is the time in the game where this happens, whatever it is. And and that that rhythm is also a uh, possible goal of introducing a clock mechanic is to set up. It's a cycle. You're setting up at this point. This happens. At this point. This happens. At this right. Point. Yeah. And you're setting up a cadence for play. Exactly. And an, an, an expectation on the part yeah, of the players exactly. of like when this. Hey, a beat should have happened. Which right has now. which Why has which has uh, multiple effects. It it sets expectations so that everybody knows what to look forward to. It aids in uh, understanding mechanic, story, setting, because as things happen over and over again, it's put back into their mind, it's brought back onto the tip of their tongue, it's repeated and reinforced and... Right. It can reinforce genre if what you're trying is to simulate a specific genre. You set those clocks so that it behaves in a way that feels like whatever the genre you're trying to simulate is. So. Yeah. Um, some other games that have clocks in them that were just popping into my head, uh, if you're interested in, in, in viewing some, um, one would be Polaris by Ben Lehman, uh, which, uh, that's another tragic game. Uh, Jim actually has it for sale out on the table if you're interested. Uh, but that's an example of a game that has sort of a, it is only a matter of time, much like Ten Candles, but you can play it over many sessions. Uh, it's only a matter of time before all of your characters slip into corruption, right? So that's an example of a very slow but inevitable ticking clock. Um, I'm also a really big fan of Hannah Schaefer's uh, Questlandia and uh, her newer game, which uh, I'm a huge fan of, called Damn the Man, Save the Music. Uh, both of those, uh, so Damn the Man to give that, that example, but it's very similar mechanics. Uh, you are, it's very Empire Records, the RPG basically, where you are staff at a crumbling music, uh, you know, music and album store on its final day in business, and you are going to try to give it one great last day, but around you, the shop is literally falling to pieces, and as you play through the game, you sort of tick up these tracks of things going horribly wrong with certain areas of the business and the shop and the infrastructure of the day, um, until one of them, or possibly many of them, explode and everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. Um, so there, there's a really a lot of, I think in a lot of RPGs, there are, ele there are elements of larger clocks and a lot of small clocks. It's, it's one of those things where once you're kind of aware of it, you're going to start seeing them everywhere. These little stress trackers or these countdown. It makes for good role playing, I think, because it adds that element of time matters and you know, we're going to only have so long to solve a problem or fix something. Right. I think that's a thing also that kind of like bleeds over between RPG design and LARP design, right? Because yes. so many LARPs are specifically yes. contained within a certain location and a certain amount of time. Um, they have a tendency to be very aware of, you know, like, this event is going to happen at 6 o'clock, you know, regardless of whether players are ready for it or not, right. you know, kind of thing for this. This is the time that we spring this on them or whatever. Um, or you have some kind of even like a smaller LARP where uh, the, the I forgot the name of the one, but the one that's the dance of the prom, right? And everybody has put in a song, so it's like we have we know we have as many songs as we have people playing, right? You know, and like these things need to be resolved before the last dance is over, right? What's that? That's my jam. I don't remember what the name of it was. Yeah, but something like that for it. So, 
Dance Till Dawn is another game that uses music. Yeah, yeah it uses the soundtrack. Rip and Drive. Right, Rip and Drive is perfect. Know, all of the ones yep. that have music. Um, there's a lot of fun ones there. Yep. Um, and that, that your, uh, the Ten Candles obviously ties the clock to actual real world time span. Right. Um, there, I, there are certainly interesting things that can be done in similar ways of having the actual time spent at the table then translate back into in-game narrative elements. Um, I remember, I think it was in um, John Wick's playing Dirty Column when he was ending a cyberpunk campaign and he literally took uh, uh, an egg timer, a kitchen timer, and set it to an hour right. and placed it on the table. And when it dinged, he pointed to one of the players and said, your head explodes. Because he had had them, their, their boss at the corporation had put cranial bombs in all of their heads, <laughs> and he was ending the campaign, and, he said, and as soon as he said that, he turned the timer back to an hour, right. and set it back on the table. He had done nothing the entire night except ask, answer direct questions that they asked him about what, they were, what the setting they were in was. Right. And it, as soon as he said, your head explodes, Next next hour, everybody right. just goes nuts because they're looking at that clock and they're going, "Wait, am I next?" Right. So like that, and that's a mechanic. I mean, in a smaller game, that could be the entire game. Absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I mean, you have to like have something to do for the guy who the poor whose head exploded first, right? Well, he's yeah. Be around for four more hours just yeah. watching everybody. He's just, he's just going and getting everybody coffee or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I hate games like that. But, yeah. You know, but. The, 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 the idea is still sound. I mean, it could be it is, right? at the it's end of the hour, uh, you transform into a werewolf. Yeah, now right, exactly. Now you're on the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. You've changed sides or whatever. It's some, some transformation has happened. Um, but sure, yeah, the, 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 the premise still works, absolutely. I think um, one, I think one of the, the, the more higher-profile uh, RPGs of recent years to bring the clock mechanic by that very name into the, into the consciousness is uh, uh, Blades of the Dark and yes. Forge in the Dark community. Right. Clocks are a very uh, big uh, component in those games, and in fact, they're, you're, you're encouraged to create them uh, frequently and on the fly. Right. Um, just for any sort of scenario from a chase to uh, a complicated long-term action. Right, any kind, anything appropriate to a heist story. Right? Yeah. Or even down, downtime, uh, healing from injuries is done by, by filling up clocks through, through sure. extended actions. Right. Um, uh, all the stuff that Rob did with the leverage game. Yes. Before it has a, you know, heist. When, when, when you're in the situation where you've got 20 minutes until the guard comes back. Yeah. How, right? many, how many that, actions? That that, how many actions can you get in? Yeah. You know, kind of like actually enforcing real time, you know, in, in the game space for that. It's, you know, like, like I said, it focuses the mind of the players really, you know, marvelously, or it doesn't and they get caught and they learn for next time, right, you know, so. One of the things that I, I wanted to, uh, that I've actually thought about a lot recently that I thought this was a perfect sort of venue to talk a little bit about, um, is a little bit less in uh, the designing of mechanics behind games, but uh, I'll, honestly a lot in like hosting games and playing games with friends and talking about accessibility and comfort and safety and things like that. So my wife, who I run a D&D 5e game for, has a lot of anxiety and uh, clocks and stress in role-playing games can be really hard for some people. Sure, yes. Um, 
And that idea of not really knowing when something is actually timed, when there is an urgency to accomplish something, or when there isn't and everything's fine and you can take your time, that's something that's really great to also communicate to play, if you're running a game, to communicate to players around your table. Um, so one of the things that we've actually incorporated a little homebrew rule that we've used is something I've called the, the hourglass technique, um, which is, when time actually matters, there is a visual indicator. I will take an hourglass and I will put it on the table and say, hey, time matters for whatever you're talking about right now, like this is something that is time sensitive. But if it's not there, if there's no flag or indication of the players, they know, hey, even though this, this we've heard rumors that there's like goblins attacking this town nearby, we don't have to go there right now. Like it's okay for us to go to make a plan, to make a plan, right and to like we can not, for a not be super stressed about it. So that's also something that's really important sometimes to keep in mind, especially if you are playing a game or running a game that has some of these mechanics or mm -hmm. clocks built into them, is to be aware that uh, of the accessibility concerns that some players may have. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes it's good to chat with them, work out something where they can be aware of when time actually matters, right? Because we don't have, you know, if you're playing a video game and you've got the timer boop, that pops up on the top of the screen, you know, okay, I need to focus. Uh, but we don't really usually get that in role-playing games around a table as often. Well, part, part of that is because we have the competence fantasy, right? Of, right. You know, it's like, it's, I, I want to take the time yeah. so that I can spend half an hour thinking about what would have taken my character only five minutes to do. Exactly. Right? Because right. my character is much cooler than I am. Right, and right. right. This character out. But by God, I, the player, am going to sit down and, like, you know, like, make a map and stuff and figure things, you know? Yeah. So that's just so. something good to keep in mind when you're running games uh, for people that may have, have issues like that. Um, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's done the worlds for our easing our stress around. You know, I love to be the mysterious uh, game master who's like, oh, you'll never know when things are really going to pop off. And of course, they always get there right when things are going yeah, crazy, sure, right? right? Yeah. Like, the secret is they were always going to get there that time, right? That's the big secret. But just being transparent sometimes with play, when knowing when time actually doesn't matter and being comfortable sharing that with your players is sometimes really helpful to them. Absolutely. Do we have any questions from the crowd? Anybody wants to get uh, you know uh, discussion in with you guys for it? So. Do, you, do you find certain like? Ways to like cause more stress or urgency, like 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 visual aids versus auditory ones versus like like ticking clock is a classic thing that makes people feel like they have to rush. I don't think there's a universal one. I think it's the sort of thing, especially if you're talking about what I'm doing in my home game. For it, it's a thing that I like learn with my players, right? Like for for mine, uh, a, a big honking physical metaphor put on the table, right? Like either you know the, the ten candles or the Jenga board, the Jenga tower, or something like that. Um, you know that they respond to that, they understand that, right? I, I would find a ticking clock really annoying to play with. I was thinking like the difference between like you know with ten, with ten candles, you know, actually very kind of subtle and almost not relaxing, but very slow. Yes. Sure. Versus a very in your face type of clock. Right. Right. The, I, I often, Epidiah and I often describe the differences of like. 
10 Kindles and Dread. They're very, they're in many ways, they're very similar, but in a lot of ways, they're very different, right? Dread is very much a survival horror, like that tower is effectively the jump scare in a horror movie. Yes. And there's a lot of jump scares in Dread when your heart is pounding, 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 but then when you're not pulling from the tower, you're okay. Whereas 10 Candles is more of a very slow, slow burn, no pun intended, of, uh, of creeping, creeping horror. Uh, that's very inevitable, but is going right. to come at you either way. And it's really about like finding, uh, I think a lot of it is thinking about what kind of emotions you want out of your session or out of your game. What, which of those do you want? And finding some mechanic or representation of that that can really match what you're looking for. In terms of visual representation, do you think you things feel differently if something is a clock versus a track? Because both could have five markers on them. Um, tracks have been around for a long time, but in Blades in the Dark, clocks seem to really hit, uh, um, uh, hit something to people. Yeah, I, th I think a clock represents to people a fairly steady, uh, you know, and kind of like continuous. Uh, uh, motion to it, right? For this, sort of, like the idea that like a clock is ticking feels harder to stop. Whereas a track, like I feel like I could derail that at any point, right? Like as a, as a, as a you know as a visual metaphor for what's happening, whatever the actual mechanics supporting that are, is irrelevant to how it feels as a visual like guide, right? So I think for once again going back to Sentinels for it, you can you can win before you get to the end, right? If I punch the bad guy hard enough and I'm successful with my tactics or whatever, we can win while it's still yellow, right? And never have gotten to our like horrible red situation for this. Whereas a clock feels like more like that should be used in a situation where it's gonna come to it's gonna come all the way around, one way or the other in the game, right? And and also a clock is inherently connected in our brains to time. Right. Um, yeah. A, a track could be any sort of progress indicator. Um, a clock having that circular shape being divided into segments, all of that in your brain says time matters. Time. Yeah. Even even if mechanically different minutes, you know, like of that clock or different hours, you know, whatever your twelfths of the clock are, do themselves physically take different amounts of time, it still feels regular. Right, whereas a track feels like, you know, what's well this this space on my track might take considerably longer than that space did to resolve whatever was happening in it. Right. So I think as a using that as a metaphor kind of depends on which of those two fields you want to actually like build up in the game. Uh, another I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I think there's a lot of room also for, like, I've seen tracks and I've seen clocks, but I think there's so much room for further development in what tracks look like and how that corresponds. Right. So, like, for example, I had, literally just now when we were sitting up here, I had an idea for if you had, a, uh, if you were playing, like, a war game and you had printed on the character sheet uh, bullet casings, and you drew on the bullets, so you drew the little cap to it um, on all of them. But then as you played, you erased it. So your bullets became bullet shells instead. And that was a countdown timer of maybe how much ammo you had left, right? As an example, just like a random idea. But there's a room for it to be stylized and interesting to right. reflect the sort of uh, yeah, what, you're, what you're looking that, for. It, right? That metaphor would not have to have anything to do with ammo if it's right. just it's a game of, if it's a Western or whatever, where right. like the gun represents 
yeah. you know, it's it the, be netty, the, the, right? the, the, you know, six, six holes of a six shooter or whatever right. could like be what gets filled in because it's a metaphor that stands for something else important in your game as well, you know. Yeah. And then uh, a track versus a clock, at least in my mind, a, a track feels so much more open-ended. Yeah. Like yeah. it is so much, it is, it is, it is very easy for me to imagine someone taking a marker and just adding an extra box on the next. Right, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. That, 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 that clock, clock feels closed. Yeah. Right? But, it's a, but yeah. even that, like, once you've started filling in a clock, you can, like, if a clock is, has not been filled in yet or not been marked off yet, you can just add more segments to it. Right, yeah. But once you've started filling it in, that option is closed off. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah. But that, that sense of finality of, like, we're going to get around to it and that it's going to happen anyway, right? Like, for this, and, and, and that getting to that next space feels like it has more significance to come back to midnight on the clock than it does necessarily to just take the next step down a track. And I think so. that's why the, the form, the, imagine, uh, uh, the, the imagination space of forms for these kind of mechanics yeah. is much wider than I yeah. think has been. Any kind of game where you're physically manipulating a prop, right? If, like, you know, if it's not a clock specifically, I put a set number of things, even if they're candies or whatever, out on the table, and every so often something happens, I take one away. Right, that's serving as a clock, even if they don't know necessarily what it is yet for this. Right, like the fact that it's a dwindling pile still continues to have that visual metaphor of like what's what's being timed here. Right, like what's being uh, what what resource is draining away. Um, I've been working on about politics. It's coming down. It's trying to affect the election before it happens, of course. Um, I just have a set number of turns in the game, mm -hmm. and there's just a set number of turns each person gets before each election, and I run through a couple. It's about gerrymandering and showing the effects of it. Right. Um, I just... I'm not sure how to ask this question. Sorry. That's right. Um, what what's the scale of the game? Is this a game where like you have, where it's a calendar more than a clock, right? It's like yes. we got to get something I mean, done before so many days pass. Yeah, it'd be like each period is three months. I okay. Before these, uh, before the, it'd be nine months before an election starts. That's when you're going to make the effects start happening. Right. That's right. We can come back to you if you want to or catch us afterwards if you can't figure out what it's, but keep that. We had somebody else. Rich had something. That's, that game sounds real cool, though. That does sound Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm into the idea, so let's actually let's talk about it. I was actually just going to say, like, I, I have like, a concrete example of how change, how using clocks, like, changes that. Because in my in the game I'm working on, I started with tracks to, like, keep track of a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. I'm not, like, a big Lights in the Dark Apocalypse uh, player. I switched to using clocks just because they took up less space on the sheet. <laughs> yeah. And they were like less likely to get confused with other things. But it's really interesting how after doing that, future development I did after that changed. Yeah. Like I was I was now actually writing a different set of rules to use them and like using a clock for injuries made it a little bit more clear how like you can have different effects at different uh, levels and like it, it, it changed really the vibe of how totally. people yeah. do it. It's like they, it, they're not used in the same way as like Blades in the Dark but like it is still a 
you see this thing. And anytime in a game, anytime mechanically that you've got a resource that for whatever reason you can't refill or is particularly hard or injurious or whatever to refill, effectively you've got a clock in the game, right? And effectively you are putting some level of there will be a consequence to running out of this. Right, and it doesn't even have to. It doesn't necessarily have to be a. Oh, this is a timed thing. This is very. Kill that one. Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be a. Uh, you know, like like a timing. Me- I mean, it's a timing mechanism, yes, but it's, it doesn't have to be related to time. It can be related to character action. Right. It's like doing this costs me X amount of this resource, and when I run out of this resource, there will be a state change in the game. Right. Then it becomes a player action issue of. You know, when do I decide that it's worth spending whatever this random resource is on controlling my fate in the world, right? And when am I just going to kind of like let it, you know, <coughs> let it go because, oh boy, I'm awful close to running out of points, whatever my points are, right? You know? That just reminded me, we haven't even talked about things like shot clocks from Feng Shui or yeah, uh, right, Exalted. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. It, for those of you who don't know those games, uh, the idea is that instead of having a standard cyclical initiative system, you have a, 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 a sequence of initiative points, right. like oh, yeah. from 15 to zero, and then everybody starts on a different one, but then different actions require different amounts of those units. Right. So the initiative actually, people will leapfrog back and forth. Exactly. Yeah, you can get a bunch of you know really quick things done, or you can take one long action that does you know something bigger in the game because it took up more of your time. Yeah. So. Any other questions? Twelve. Hey. Well, we might be done a little early in that case. Where unless there's something else you guys want to chat about while we're here. So. Forgive me, this is not so much a question, but an observation based on some things you've said. That um, for a clock to be useful, players have got to be able to see it. Yes. You could have have to be aware of it. Your secret DN clock. Right. They they have they have to know that it exists, and they have to have some idea of how it progresses. Right. And what the consequences are of of going from one time space to another. Yeah. Having a secret clock with. Fuzzy rules for progression creates a very specific anxiety in players. <laughs> right, yeah. Or one that they're not aware of at all might be a you know management tool that yeah. you use yourself as a GM and it doesn't actually like impact their thinking at all. But that's I mean, not really kind of what we're talking about. Let's here be honest, any, any any GM any GM who's ever run a con game has yeah. clocks running in there. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah, we've got to get this done by in, the, in four hours. So, you know, if this hasn't happened by hour two, then, you know, a guy with a gun bursts in the room or whatever and, you know, shit gets moving again. And I think the more that you allow players to reach out and interact with that clock and possibly change it, the more they're going to care about it. Right. If it's just, if there's just a silent clock going, it, like, the, like the egg timer, right, um, that will create stress and it will push action forward. But if there are means that the players might be able to stop that clock, or, right. or set turn it, it back, back. Right. or you know, alter it and alter who it's going to target, right? the more methods you have for players to actually care, do things with it, the more they're going to care about it. Right. You see that a lot in video games, where there's a countdown clock, but there are checkpoints you can hit that will give you extra time, right. Right. actions yeah. you can take that will reset it. Yeah, I, I was so this sort of made me think about like what about 
what about the differences between, because like, we talk about the 10 candles clock, yeah. the Dread Tower, and Blades of the Dark clocks, let's say, as like the same thing. But like, I feel like there is a distinction there in that like, the Jenga Tower in Dread, you never know which pole is gonna make it. Right, yeah. So that is a clock with an unknown number of segments, basically. Obviously, mm -hmm. it depends on the dexterity. With 10 candles, you see the 10 candles. Right. So that like, uh, like the idea of the clock the players don't see the Jenga Tower almost is a clock that the players don't see, just because they don't see the end. Of they it. don't see all of it. They, but they yeah. Do well, they know they know, they know the stability know of it is going down, right? Like when it. when you've played a long scene in yeah. Je in Dread, where you've gone through multiple pulls yeah. and succeeded in them, right? Like for each good thing that's happened to you, because you know, like oh boy, I'm so short glad we got away from the monster that time, or whatever it is. From that, you still have to look back at now how feeble and frail yeah. that like tower looks for the next time, right? So that like, the metaphor still hangs. It's almost it's almost like you have a clock, you have a, you have a camera pointed at a clock, but the camera is out of focus. Yeah. And yeah. as yeah. the pull yeah. from the tower, it gets a tighter and tighter. It, yeah, it becomes more clear that like okay, the next you know, good luck like getting something out of this tower and the, the mess that it's in right now. Or so. like a GM could have a paper clock hidden. You don't see. Maybe you don't know how many segments are in it. And, but like every time you do something, you hear the roll of die and scribble some number sure. of there, and then, just, then you get to like. Smirk it, it is an option in Sentinels. I mean, most of the time, Sentinels operates on a very transparent to the players mechanic for it. But it is an option for the GM to hide not the status of the world, but how long, at what points along this track it changes. Right? If if for some maintaining a mystery or you know like planning a surprise situation. Uh, for this, you know, like a, a, a clock could be, uh, the, the track could be a whole bunch of green, yellow, red, really quickly, right, you know, kind of thing for this. You don't have to tell the players that, right? You have to tell them when it changes, but you don't have to tell them how long it's going to be in that state, right? And that, once again, is a tool potentially of use for the GM, even though most of the time it's encouraged and you just lay it out on the table and it's like, oh, we've got four turns while it's green and three while it's yellow and two while it's red. You know, and we all know how that's happening because that allows them some agency in kind of like controlling the pace of the story. Sometimes you don't want that from your players. You want to take that agency away from them and like leave them in the dark about like, oh, it's green, it's green, it's green. holy crap, it's yellow, you know, kind of thing, and have that be a surprise. So, so that, oh, before, I just want to mention a couple of quick things before. Um, that actually, that, that question prompted a couple of things in me. One was, that I think that also gets back to in so far as the dread tower being unseen. I think the more you can counterbalance invisible clocks by allowing players to interact with them more. So in dread, you never know when it's going to fall up, fall, but players have maximum interaction with that clock. Um, I was also thinking about an old D&D module I ran, Red Hand of Doom, which I love. It's a war campaign. And there is, a, there is like a schedule of this is when certain things will happen on the war front uh, that the players have no idea of, but every single thing that they do can affect it in some ways. And if you're open with them about the, the fact that they're accomplishing things, right. they'll care about the clock even though they won't see it. Right. Um, and then the other thing that I had just briefly thought of is uh, another example of a game with a, uh, with a completely invisible clock is uh, Jared Sorensen's uh, Lacuna Part 1, The Creation of the Mystery and the Girl from Blue City. Yep. There is a completely invisible clock called Static. I'm not going to talk about that game much because I don't want to spoil it for anyone because <laughs> it's amazing. Um, it is amazing. But it, that is a completely invisible clock that really the GM can, can 
tabulate all on their own. Uh, as certain things happen, it causes the world to go more and more buck wild, uh, to put it lightly. Uh, so one of the things that I did when I was running Lacuna for people is I would have a wine glass on the table and I would drop little glass beads in to represent the static going up whenever it did. Uh, you don't have to do that, that's not in the rule book. But the second I started doing that at my table, the, suddenly my players were trying to puzzle out what things they did that caused things to go in that, and they cared more about the, the clock exit. They're like, we don't even know what this clock is or why he's doing this, or if he's just messing with us, but they were more invested immediately. Right. So I think you know that's an example of a really invisible clock that the players just would not care about unless there was some uh, version of it that they can see or eventually if they learn about yeah. it again. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's bad. So. Yes. Yeah. The name of the game is Lacuna, part one, the creation of the mystery and the girl from Blue City. Static is full yeah. name yeah. of the game. Lacuna by Jared Sorensen is what yeah, you need Lacuna by part. Jared Sorensen. And uh, Static is the mechanic in the game yeah. for the his, his, uh, his company is Memento Mori. And the name of the game is Lacuna or Lacuna Part 1. You should be able to find it. It's yeah. a great game. Okay, you had a question? Yeah. Um, so I come from a strategy tabletop game design world, so it's fascinating to hear the role playing side of it and um, how the clocks are these 10 panels and uh, sure. Now, I assume they, they are more from an experiential standpoint and not. Does winning, is there even winning and losing, or is this just more? to get people more into the Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's a heck of a big question to ask at 551, but yeah. yeah. Um, in, there is, uh, my, my argument for that is there is a winning condition of story gaming, of role-playing game, uh, you know, the, particularly for story games, but for any kind of role-playing game, which is the winning condition is a satisfying story was made. Right for this, I mean, like it, you know, we, we we win as a group if we told an awesome story and everybody, you know, like got to participate in that. Um, that is frequently reflected, depending on the genre of the game, by a set of conditions that you're trying to reach by the end of it. Right? It's a superhero story is a successful story if we won and defeated the bad guys, or if we lost to them, but really interestingly, and some additional like cool things happen. Right? Some genres have a very kind of like specific, the story should end when we get to X point. Right? In a Ten Candles game, the story ends. Everybody dies at the end. Right? The story ends when we get to the last person dies or last several people die as in a group or whatever you know, for that to happen. Um, but calling that a winning condition is almost like picking a fight you know, to start out with. Of like, you know, like the, the, the point, it shouldn't be a win or a loss is an argument a lot of RPG players and designers will make. It's not necessarily one that I you know, share. But. but you can have, but when the clocks do kick down, click down, we talked a little bit earlier about having appropriate consequences, right? So in Dread, if the tower falls, your character dies or is removed from the game. You right. know? Uh, so 
sometimes you can bake in small victories and small losses into the story that the players and characters will feel as a result of that. Uh, but really, the the drive of them should be, in all cases, to improve the story. Right? You right. don't lose dread by knocking down the by tower. By dying, right? And exactly. It, and in fact, you are encouraged. Sometimes you are you are benefited by intentionally knocking the entire tower down to sacrifice yourself to save your friends. Right? That is a really cool part of that game, Absolutely, and right. can be a victory for you, even though you've lost the character. The, the death of your character yeah. can be a win or a loss, depending right. on where it fits into a story, right? So this, the same event can represent different things. So I see people starting to collect in the back there for us, so we may be wrapping up to an end. Does anybody else have any, any like one more question, questions? a final thing we can give for it? Or? All right. We might be good. Do you want to try again? Oh, no, I had something else. There's, okay. a, there's, a, there's a different game I'm working on. I put it on the back burner, but it's called Brain Freeze. And you're eating more and more ice cream, and you're getting to the core where you're going to get brain freeze. <laughs> sure. But I'm down with this, yeah. Yes. Okay, keep going. When you actually eat more than the amount that you can still have without getting brain freeze, there's a scoring mechanic that's a pain, so that's why I'm not sure if it's really for this panel in a way. But everyone does like the mechanic of going, racing up and trying to get right before that point. Right, yeah. But you said about going up rather than down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's. I mean, any kind push of your luck games uh, push your luck. Push your luck game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a term for that specifically where it's like how long can I keep this going before I reach the bad consequences? Right. Is it? And if, so. if if that progress if that process involves randomness, it becomes one of those clocks that you can't quite see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which are you know. I, I, I really love the idea of eating until you break freeze. By the way, that no no no, that's fabulous. That's yeah. Just, just like right. Yeah. yeah. Just like with everything else, you know, making it making whatever those consequences are suit it and make it something that players are excited about, uh, so that they want to push. People even if they follow. They right. they respond. I mean, like all those you know kids games of like how long can I you know like mouse trap or something yeah. like that, right? Anything where you're like have built like a physical thing and you're waiting for it to go off. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, kind of thing that that mechanic that the response that you have to that tension of when does this go off is exactly the same tension you should have in an RPG using that kind of like countdown mechanic, right? For it's, it should feel like I'm waiting, whatever the, you know, the thing with the whipped cream on the hand that like comes out, right? You know, that's, what, that, that's what it should feel like in your RPG when that moment hits, right? Like the state change of the universe should be a slap in the face of the whipped cream on it, right? You know? I think that's what we got. Thank you all for coming. Thank you guys so much. Go get dinner. Yes. Right? Yeah. Time to eat. The clock is struck. It is dinner time. Or come see the six o'clock panels, whatever they're here for, because yeah. they're awesome too. Hi, guys.